Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. If you'll take your Bibles, we will return to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're taking a look at the principles of joy, the various elements that enhance, enlarge uh, our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit of God is in control of your life, When the Holy Spirit of God is in control of your life and when you're living in obedience to the Word of God, when your heart and your mind and your spirit are focused and fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have joy. You will have joy in the Lord. Again, we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy, a deep-seated satisfaction, rest, peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are things all around us that trouble us. There are things all around us that would create anxiety in us. There are things all around us that frustrate us, even anger us. But we're not talking about those things. Those are all circumstantial things. Those are things that take away our happiness. But it's our relationship to God through Jesus Christ that gives us joy. It gives us joy. You will be grateful for the investments of God and other people in your life, and you will rejoice with thanksgiving in Christ Jesus. And you will rejoice in remembering your involvement with others in the worship, in the ministry, in the outreach, the discipleship, and the fellowship of the gospel with other people. But your joy will also be magnified when your life is marked by sincere and steadfast prayer. When prayer becomes the activity that you long for most and you engage in more than any other activity in your walk with the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 7, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with joy, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, 
that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Every time I think of you, I pray for you. And whenever I pray for you, I am filled with joy. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be imprisoned. And when he was writing this letter, he was imprisoned in Rome. He knew what it was like to be free. He knew what it was like, he tells the Corinthians. He knew what it was like to have all of his needs met. He knew what it was like to have no one care for him. He knew what it was like to be accepted by people. And he knew what it was like to be rejected by people. In all of the ups and in all of the downs of the Apostle Paul's life, he experienced joy in Christ Jesus. Circumstances did not rob him of his joy in the Lord. Prayer, prayer is a ministry that we're more able to do than to define. If somebody were to ask you, uh, what, how do you define prayer? What is prayer? Uh, we would probably be more apt to describe to them what prayer, how we pray, rather than to define what prayer really is. But simply put, prayer is conversation with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is conversation with our Heavenly Father. It's not talking to God. It is talking with God. It is talking with God. In prayer, God listens to us as we speak to Him. And we listen to God as He speaks to us. It is conversation Oswald Chambers wrote, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. And sometimes that's how we pray. We pray that God will make us ready. We pray that God will make us able. We pray that God will open doors. We pray that God will do this and God will do that so that we can go out and be what God wants us to be. Oswald Chambers says, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. It is the greater work. It is the greater work. Ian Bounds, one of the great prayer warriors of, a sev of several generations ago, he wrote, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege that's to be enjoyed. Prayer is not uh, a duty that we must do. It is a privilege that we want to do. Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, way long ago, back in the 15th and 16th century, Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer, to be a Christian without prayer, is no more possible 
than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Billy Sunday, one of the great evangelists of the early 1900s, he was a professional baseball player, and then he was saved. He came to faith in Jesus Christ, and he became an evangelist and went all over the country preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the, in the early 1900s. Billy Sunday said, if you're a stranger to prayer, if you are a stranger to prayer, you are a stranger to the greatest source of power known to human beings. If you're a stranger to prayer, you're a stranger to the greatest source of power known to human beings. Someone wrote, I don't have his name or her name, but someone wrote these words. If you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. If you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Let me ask you the question, how do you speak to God? And how does God speak to you? I've had some Christian people tell me, you know, I pray, but I don't hear God. I don't hear God speaking to me. And they wonder if there is something wrong in their faith. They wonder if there is something wrong in their relationship to God. How do you speak to God? And how does God speak to you? I was talking to a friend this past week, and that same question came up. He asked me, he said, you know, well, he said, I have a problem with having a specific time and a specific place for a prayer time. Uh, you know, uh, some people have like 5 o'clock in the morning, some people have like 8 o'clock, some people have a little bit later on. Uh, that's when they step aside and they have time to read their Bible and to pray. And um, he, he said, how do you pray and how often do you pray? And my answer to the individual was, I pray the moment I wake up in the morning, even before I get out of bed. I'm talking with the Lord. And I talk to the Lord all day long. My heart, my spirit is in a constant state of communicating with the Father. Does he speak to you? He asked. Yes, he speaks to me. Well, how does he speak to you? And I shared with him what I'm going to share with you right now. Rarely does anyone hear the voice of God with the physical ear. Rarely does anyone hear the voice of God with their physical ear. As you speak to God, he will hear you in the language of your understanding. He will hear you in the language of your understanding, of your mind, your heart, and your spirit. And as God speaks to you, you will hear him in your understanding, in your mind, 
and in your heart and in your spirit. But rarely, and I have to tell you honestly this morning, I have never heard the voice of God audibly with my physical ear. But I hear the voice of God every day and all throughout the day as he speaks to my understanding, as he addresses who I am and what I'm going through and the needs that I have and the issues that I face by strumming the heartstrings, by speaking to my understanding, by moving in my spirit. Now, there are different types of prayer. And there are many examples of prayer in the Bible. But in each and every prayer, in each and every example, in each and every type of prayer, you are speaking to God and you're listening as God speaks to you. And I want to give a quick rundown of the more prominent types of prayer that you find in Scripture. It's not all inclusive. There are some other types of prayer that I'm not going to mention, and they're just as valid uh, as the ones that we will mention this morning. But in each and every one, and we do not want to lose sight of what prayer really is, in each and every prayer, you are communicating with God. You're talking with God. And like any valid communication, you're not only speaking with Him, but He is speaking with you. First of all, there's the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is offered for someone who has a need that only God can answer. Someone who has a need that only God can answer. When you pray in faith, you trust in God to do what only God can do. That's the prayer of faith. You're talking to God, you're speaking to God, and you are uh, asking God to do what only God can do. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If you can believe... And that's a big if, because it is um, conditional. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. That's the prayer of faith. In James chapter 5 and verse 15, James writes, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. I had a friend who was diagnosed with a very serious disease and was in the hospital and the doctor had come in Uh, This was back before COVID, and I was sitting in the room with this dear friend, and we were talking, and the doctor came in, and the doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have such and such a disease, and it's not looking good. I don't think you'll be able to leave the hospital. Well, of course, my friend was upset by that. The doctor left, and the friend, my friend looked at me, and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, you know, the doctors will say what the doctors will say, but only God has the last word. 
Only God has the last word. And we need to listen to him in what he tells us regarding our condition. The prayer of faith is asking God to do what only God can do. Then there is corporate prayer, the second type of prayer. Corporate prayer, or what some call agreement, prayer of agreement. The corporate prayer is spoken in the midst of the fellowship of others. Praying with other friends, other family members, other Christians. And it's intended to strengthen and to encourage us in our faith. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, his disciples joined together in the upper room and they prayed. They fasted and they prayed day after day after day. They were together in the upper room fasting and praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Later, when the Holy Spirit came, we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. After the Holy Spirit came upon them, they broke their fast. They left the upper room. They went back to teaching and to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. But they continued to pray together. They continued to pray together for the primary purpose of strengthening one another and encouraging one another in their faith. They had a rough road ahead and they knew that because Jesus warned them of that. They were going to be facing many difficulties. There were going to be many needs brought into the church through people who were being saved by the preaching of the gospel. And they were going to need wisdom and they were going to need expertise and ability and resources to be able to minister to the many hundreds of people coming to the faith. But they were also going to be facing people who would oppose them. The Pharisees who opposed Jesus would also be opposing them. The Romans who did not agree with them and wanted all the people of the empire to worship Caesar and not Jesus Christ. There were many things that they were going to face. And so they prayed together so that they would be encouraged and strengthened together in the faith. Third is the prayer of supplication. And you find that word from time to time in Scripture. The word supplication simply means requests. It is the prayer of requests. It's the most common prayer that people pray. But what is it? The prayer of supplication or the prayer of requests is not presenting to the Lord a laundry list of wants. It's not coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I need this and I need this. And I, you know, if I had a little bit more money at the end of the month than month at the end of the money. Or Lord, I need a promotion. Or Lord, I wish you would do this or I wish you would do that, so on and so forth. It, the prayer of request is not presenting to the Lord God a laundry list. It is a cry to the Lord God for help in the spirit of reverence, in the spirit of devotion, and in humility. It is the cry to God for help. It is not a cry to God for wants. It is a cry to God for needs. 
In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, look at it right there. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 4 verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. The word anxious means what? To to be anxious means what? To worry. And scripture tells us that worry or anxiety is the opposite of faith. Worry and faith do not mix. For one to be anxious and for one to worry means they are lacking in their faith. Their faith is not a strong faith. Paul says in chapter 4 verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything, not just the religious things, not just the spiritual things, not just the financial things, not just the relationship things, not just the vocational things, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Bring them to the altar and present them to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. Cry out to the Lord for help in those times of need. After putting on the spiritual armor of God, And standing against the forces of Satan, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Pray always with all prayer and supplication, making requests in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And that brings us to the fourth type of prayer you find in Scripture, and that's the prayer of thanksgiving. The prayer of thanksgiving expresses gratitude to God for what he's done in our lives. It is expressing gratitude not only to God, but expressing to God our gratitude for what he has done and for what other people have done in our lives. Turn to Psalm 100. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 100. I want us to read this psalm together. Now, I know you may have a different version of the Scriptures than what I have, but that's okay. God's going to hear it as a sweet song of praise. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. It's only five verses, but boy, what five verses they are. Let's read it together, all right? Are you there? Everyone there? Let's read it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Dear friends, if there was nothing else in life to be grateful for, that's enough. That's enough right there. To be thankful to God for his goodness toward us, For his mercy, which is everlasting, 
and for his truth that will never fail, that will never be diminished. We can be grateful for that, amen? We can be thankful to the Lord God for that. In Philippians chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, a text that we've already read, but let's just remind ourselves of it. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. And then there is the prayer of worship. The prayer of worship is similar to the prayer of thanksgiving. But the prayer of thanksgiving, we focus uh, on what God has done. The prayer of worship, we focus on who God is. It is the prayer that extols the Lord God, that elevates the Lord God in our mind and in our heart. It's the prayer that praises God for who God is in your life and in my life. Jesus taught us to pray this way. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, the very beginning of the model prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. The word hallowed means to be holy or honored or revered. Lord, may your name be honored. May your name be holy in my heart and in my mind. Why? Because you are holy. Because you are revered. You are the true and the living God. May I remember that in my life. Remind me of that as I pray that you are holy God. So I pray the prayer extolling you for your holiness, for who you truly are. In Psalm 104 and verse 1, the psalmist writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and with majesty. Remembering who God truly is. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Verses 22 through 24, when King Solomon completed the temple in Jerusalem and when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, he stood then before the altar of the Lord outside in the uh, courtyard of the priests. He stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all of the assembly of Israel and he lifted his hands up to heaven and he prayed this prayer, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or above or on earth below like you. You who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you have promised to your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and filled it with your hand as it is this day. The first words out of King Solomon's mouth, as the temple had been completed, as the Ark of the Covenant had entered into the Holy of Holies, he lifted up his hands and he began before the children of Israel to praise God for who he is. And I think that's a wonderful thing for us to remember. Sometimes we want to come before God with an immediate need. But we need to stop 
And before we ever get to who we are and what we need, we need to remember who God is and what he desires in us. One of the uh, tools that people use uh, to remind them of the various components of prayer taken after the model of prayer is the word acts, A-C-T-S. And it's acrostic. A meaning adoration. C meaning confession. T meaning thanksgiving. S meaning supplication. A-C-T-S. Adoration. Confession. Thanksgiving. Supplication. Before we get to the thanksgiving, before we get to the supplication, before we get to the confession, we need to remind ourselves who God is. And we need to praise Him for who he is. And then there's the prayer of consecration or the prayer of dedication. That's given by a person who has committed himself or herself to special service in the Lord. Jesus prayed such a prayer the night before his crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39 The scripture says that he being Jesus, he went a little further, that is in the garden of Gethsemane. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The prayer of dedication is praying that God's will be done in your life. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, whatever it is that God has called you to be, you need to pray that prayer of commitment, of dedication, of consecration to the Lord God in fulfilling His will in your life. That same prayer of consecration was prayed over Paul and Barnabas by the elders of the church In Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit said to the elders there in the church at Antioch, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. We do the same thing. In this church... When we ordain pastors and deacons. And we also pray the prayer of dedication and consecration to moms and dads who bring their infants, who bring their children before the Lord and dedicate their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray the prayer of consecration. Then there's the prayer of intercession. And that was the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed here or mentioned here in the very first verses of Philippians chapter 1. The prayer of intercession is is simply that. It is interceding before the Lord on behalf of others. Interceding before the Lord on behalf of others. You know, sometimes even Christians sometimes don't know how to pray. They were never taught. They were never brought into that relationship, into that spiritual maturity where they know how to pray. And there are some people who are afraid to pray. They're afraid that if other people hear them, they'll sound foolish. They're afraid that God won't answer them if they pray. 
There are some people who don't know what to pray for. And so they go with long stretches of time in their life, never conversing with God because they're afraid or because they feel like they're ignorant and they don't know how to do that. They may come to you and they may, and they do come to me as well, and they say, will you pray for me? I don't know how to pray about this. Can you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, and he said to Timothy, we are to make intercession for all people. Whether they request that we intercede for them or not, we are still to be in prayer for other people. I think I've mentioned to you before, when I was in college at Cal Baptist, my Greek professor, Dr. Jennings, and his wife, Frances, she was my professor of Christian education. Dr. Jennings was my professor of Greek. They had been married a long time and they served as missionaries in Spain when Franco was dictator of Spain and he had been imprisoned a couple of times for sharing the gospel of Jesus in Spain. Dr. Jennings and his wife, Francis, never had any children. They wanted to devote their entire time to the ministry of the Lord. And as teachers at Cal Baptist... They would never attend any events or any meetings after 6 o'clock in the evening. They would go to bed at 6 o'clock in the evening. And they would get up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Every morning. And they would pray for each one of their students by name. And they had several classes that they taught during a semester, I think Dr. Jennings had like four or five classes and uh, Mrs. Jennings had three or four classes in religious ed. But they would pray for each and every one of their students by name. And I asked Mrs. Jennings, because we were close, Dr. Jennings and I were close as well, why do you do that? Why do you go to bed at six and get up in two to pray for each of your students by name? And she said, because at that time, there's nobody calling us. And there's nobody coming by and knocking on the door. There are no interruptions. So we can focus our full attention in prayer for our students. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful thing that there would be individuals, highly intelligent individuals and, and very active individuals in their educational work and so on and so forth that they would take such a large block of time and they would pray for each student by name. John chapter 17 is a prayer of intercession. It's Jesus praying for his disciples not just the twelve that were there with him, but for all of the disciples that would come after them. He prayed for you. He prayed for me in the garden in John chapter 17. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus approached Simon Peter. And he told Simon, he said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. 
I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Can you imagine that? Jesus, if you had been Peter, Jesus walking up to you and saying, Simon, I have prayed for you. But let me share with you. Jesus is before the throne of God interceding for you right now. He's praying for you right now. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you're going through this very moment. He knows what you're going to face in the next hour. He knows how the day is going to end. And He knows what the week is going to look like before you even embark on another day this week. He knows everything ahead of you. He knows everything in you. He knows everything behind you. And He stands before the Father and He prays for you by name. That sends chills up and down my spine. He prays for you. An eighth prayer that is prayed, and we do not pray this prayer anymore, or we ought not to pray this prayer anymore. It is the imprecatory prayer. The imprecatory prayer. The imprecatory prayer asks God to judge the wicked in order to avenge the righteous. Psalm chapter 7 verse 9, David cries out, O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. He prays in the 35th Psalm, Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who fight against me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of the shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. God, I am being persecuted. God, I am being oppressed. God, I am being beaten down by those who hate me, who do not desire for me to be their king, those who rail against me. And I want you, God, I want you to open a can of whoop-up on them and put them in their place. Exalt me over those who hate me. And I know some people who pray that kind of prayer today, but that is not a Christian prayer. That is not a Christian prayer. That is not a prayer that Christians are to pray today. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus and his disciples were going through Samaritan territory and they came to one village and the people of the village rebuked Jesus and his disciples and they would not allow Jesus and his disciples to stop there. They wouldn't open their arms up and receive them. And so James and John came up to the Lord and they said, Shall we call down fire from heaven and destroy this Samaritan village for being unfriendly to us? 
And Jesus said to these two disciples, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's the prayer of the child of God. Not that God would rain fiery coals upon the heads of those who don't like us, but God would draw them near to the Savior so that they might be saved. Someone told me the best way to make an enemy your friend is to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. You bring an individual to faith in Jesus Christ, they'll no longer be your enemy. They'll be your friend. The ninth prayer, praying in the Spirit. These are prayers that the Holy Spirit speaks for us when we can't find the words to express what's going on in our mind, our heart, and our spirit. And there are times, I, I don't know about you, but there are times when I enter into my prayer closet and my heart is so burdened for the church, my heart is burdened for certain individuals in the church, my heart is burdened for what's going on in the country, and I don't have the words to speak. I don't know how to express to the Lord in human language what it is my soul wants to say to the Lord. And all too often, I will just sit in silence. And the Holy Spirit will speak through me. The Holy Spirit will be able then to interpret the trauma of my spirit and translate that into the language that the Father will hear. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Let me read it to you in the contemporary English Bible. It makes more sense to you. The Apostle Paul says, In certain ways we are weak. But the Spirit is here to help us. For example, when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit prays for us in ways that we cannot put into words. All of our thoughts are known to God and He can understand what is in the mind of the Spirit as the Spirit prays for God's people. Now I'm not going to say that those times in my prayer closet I'm I'm actually speaking in a prayer language or I'm speaking in tongues or anything of that nature. But what I am saying is when I am unable to speak because of the trauma of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks for me. And He speaks to the Father through me because I just cannot find the words to speak. Now, there are other types of prayer in Scripture, and there are other examples of prayer in Scripture, but these are the biggies. But again, I want to remind us that it's not the issue to know the types of prayers or even the examples of prayer that are in the Bible. The issue is that we pray. The issue is that we pray. Just to know the theology of prayer doesn't cut it in the Spirit's 
work in our lives. We must not only know, but we must also do. Jesus said, and as he was closing out the Sermon on the Mount, you who hear my words but do not do them are like a person who builds his house, his life, upon the sand. And when the storms of life come and the winds blow and the waves crash against the house, it falls. Great is the destruction of it. But those who hear my words and do what I say, he builds his house upon the rock. And when the storms of life come, when the waves crash against it, when the winds blow, the house or the life stands because he's building his life in obedience to what the Lord has said. We are to pray every day and we are to pray throughout the day. Let me briefly give you four reasons why, very quickly. First of all, prayer enables our relationship to the Lord to mature. And I will guarantee you this, my friends. If you're not engaging in prayer, in conversation with God on a daily basis, you are stunting your spiritual growth. You are not pressing on to spiritual maturity as you should be, as God would have you. We must pray every day. We must converse with God every day. We must listen as God speaks to us, as we speak to Him, so that our spirit will mature in Him. When people, let me put it in practical terms, how many of you are in a relationship with another person? How many of you are in a relationship with another person? Some of you are not in a relationship with anybody. I feel sorry for you. You are an island unto yourself. Woe is you as Dr. Ortegon would say. All, we all have friends. We all have acquaintances. We have business associates. We have school chums. We have spouse. We have children. So on and so forth. We're all in a relationship with other individuals. When people do not communicate with each other in their relationships, that relationship becomes strained. And if that lack of communication persists, that relationship is over. That relationship will end. And the same is true in our relationship with God. Personal prayer is imperative for our relationship to God to thrive and for our spirit in Christ Jesus to mature. Second, prayer releases the power of God in our lives. Prayer releases the power of God in our lives. In James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, I want you to listen to the powers that are activated in one's prayer life. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? And suffering here does not necessarily mean suffering with an ailment, suffering with a disease. It just means suffering in general. Suffering financial setback, suffering family problems, suffering vocational problems, suffering relationship problems, suffering persecution. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? And we have a lot of people among us who are sick. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over that individual. 
anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, will promote healing in the life of the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, it has great strength. Anybody suffering? Anybody sick? Anybody struggling with sin? Anybody have needs in their lives that, that you can't find answers to, you cannot find resources? James says, pray. Pray the prayer of faith. Get together. Call the elders. Call other people. And have them come and pray with you. Because in prayer, the power of God is released in your life. In the life of the fellowship. Third, prayer gives us spiritual comfort and peace. Prayer gives us spiritual comfort and peace. The Psalms. The Psalms are not only the songs of the Hebrew people. They are also prayers that are put to music. Sometimes when I'm not able to pray because I'm upset or I'm depressed or I'm discouraged, I turn to the Psalms and I read the Psalms. I start reading through the Psalms. It's amazing. It's amazing how much I can identify with David, with Moses, with Heman the Ezraite, with Ethan the Ezraite, with Solomon, with Asaph, with the sons of Korah, who wrote the Psalms. They're people just like me. It's uncanny how God allowed these individuals to write these words down because I find so much comfort and so much peace in them. Fourth, prayer sets my will in line with God's will. And that's a very important point to remember, friends. When you pray, you're not praying to manipulate God's will. You're not praying to strong-arm God to do what you want Him to do. When you pray, it's the Holy Spirit of God putting you in line with God's will, not vice versa. Putting you in line with God's will. Nancy and I pray every morning for our family, for our friends, for our church. We pray that God will give us our marching orders for the day. And then all through the day, my heart and my mind and my spirit continually seeks God's will in everything that I face during the day. Appointments, assignments, activities, even in my downtime. I'm still seeking the Lord for what it is he would have me do. It is only, and listen, it is only when I stop seeking God's will during the day that I lose sight of how I am to use my time, my energy, my resources, and how I spend my time. In other words, when I stop seeking the Lord and his will for my life, that's when I start getting into trouble. That's when I start finding that my life is opened once again to the influence and the interference of Satan. That's why Jesus told us to pray. 
Father in heaven, your name be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to know your will for my life in my situation right now. I cannot know God's will if he and I are not in communication with each other. Finally, our joy in Christ Jesus is increased when we pray. The Apostle Paul wrote, Every time I think of you, I pray for you. And whenever I pray for you, I am filled with joy. In 1876, and I'll close with this, in 1876, a woman by the name of Mary A. Kidder wrote these words. And it became a song that I used to love to sing when I was a small child back in the country church, uh, Evening Shade Church in Arkansas. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? In the name of Christ our Savior, did you sue for loving favor as a shield today? When you met with great temptation, did you think to pray? By his dying love and merit, did you claim the Holy Spirit as your guide and stay? When your heart was filled with anger, did you think to pray? Did you plead for grace, my brother, that you might forgive another who had crossed your way? When sore trials came upon you, did you think to pray? When your soul was bowed in sorrow, balm of Gilead did you borrow at the gates of the day? Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Let's stand together. David, come and lead us in a song. Living for Jesus, a life that is true, serving to please Him in all
Father, may that be our prayer for the remainder of the day and for this new week that we would indeed live for Jesus. In his honor and to his glory, I pray. Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.